Thanks for joining us for another message from Southland Church. If you'd like any information about our church, check out our website at mysouthland.com. Uh, but today I want to continue that focus. We're leading into Easter, and that's what Lauren started. And we're leading into Easter, and I wanted to continue that focus on Jesus and the call that he has, us, has on our lives. And specifically today we're going to look at Isaiah 55. Um, and Isaiah 55 has lots of meaning to many people, but it has dear meaning to me. So I'll give you a bit of a, a story of how the Lord really impacted me in this area. And, and then we'll jump into kind of laying in the context and go into the rest of the message. Uh, but a number of years ago, uh, I was at the gym and working out like I, I normally do. Now I work out in my basement, but uh, it's one of my hobbies. Anyways, I had someone come up to me and we were just having a conversation. It was actually a friend of mine. And he said, you must be so content with your results. Right? Like, you know what you're doing. You must be so content with your results. And you know how you get a compliment? Does, don't compliments usually feel good? You ever have a compliment that doesn't feel good? And you can't figure out why? It's like, you must be so content. You must be so happy with your results because you're getting what you wanted, right? And it's like, I should have been able to just feel like, oh, yeah, thank you. That's, that feels great. But yet, it burned me on the inside. Because I knew it just highlighted something, and it was my lack of contentment. I didn't feel content. I never had enough. I felt it, and I knew right away as he said it, it burned me so much, and I couldn't shake it. And it wasn't, I, I knew it wasn't just about the gym either. At this point in my walk, I, I felt like there was no area in my life that felt like I could ever find satisfaction. There was never enough. I always needed more. I always needed to be pushing harder. Anyways, this continued to bug me for a couple of weeks before I finally brought it to prayer. <laughs> you ever do that sometimes? Sometimes we're quick to bring it to prayer. Other times we're a little bit slow uh, in getting there. And this time I was certainly slow and it took a couple of weeks to get there. And finally I'm like, Lord, I can't shake this. But I don't even know what to do about it. Like, how do you change contentment? How do you change those wants and desires, that goal setting or never being, nothing ever being good enough? I didn't even know where to start. And I just happened to be in a reading plan, and my reading plan started in Isaiah 55. And Isaiah 55, just the first three verses, first two specifically, really just pierced my heart. Because the challenge was, come everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And right after that, I'll skip forward, because we're going to go through the whole passage in a moment. Uh, but then the challenge was, why do you spend your money for that which does not satisfy, or sorry, your money for bread which does not satisfy, and your labor for that which cannot fill your heart, right? So why do you do that? And I felt like the Lord was piercing my heart and at the same time inviting me into something greater, into finding my contentment and satisfaction in his, in his uh, presence. So we're going to read that together in a moment. But first, I just want to lay the, con the, uh, the background so we kind of see the flow of Isaiah. We're not going to do all of Isaiah because Isaiah 55, that'd be a long time to lay that whole flow. We'll start casually in, uh, in chapter 52. So chapter 52 and a lot of before it, right? But anyways, it's talking about a promise of God's Savior. That's where we're going to start. So Isaiah 52, very fast. Um, God promises a Savior for his people. So it's a wonderful promise, right? So that's, a, that's the promise. We'll skip right through that. And we, I will come back on Easter. I'm going to come back and hit Isaiah 53 a little bit because Isaiah 53 then goes on to describe what this Savior is going to be. Right? How this Savior is going to save mankind. And Isaiah 53 describes in detail that this Savior, this Messiah, was to be a suffering Savior. Something they didn't expect. And by the way, this is written 700 years before the fact. When you go through there, I mean, I would encourage you to do it 
on your way to Easter because it's so clear talking about the gospel, the good news, Jesus. Uh, but it's so clear he described in detail how he was going, his plan for salvation and how he was going to come and suffer to win, to win the ultimate war. Then you get to Isaiah 54, and now we look at the promised blessing. So the result, right? So I'm promising you a Savior. You're lost and broken in your sins, and I've promised you a Savior. I'm going to come, and I'm going to be a suffering servant of a Savior. And then Isaiah 54 goes on to describe how this suffering Savior is going to create a promised blessing to the nations. Uh, and you, you even find echoes of uh, the Great Commission in here. Like they're, they're supposed to prepare the way. Look at this in Isaiah 54, 1 to 3. Sing, O barren one, who did not bear. Right? So this is to the one who could not bear fruit. They had the old covenant. They couldn't keep the law. They failed. Right? Just like we failed. They had failed. And they're barren. They're not bearing fruit. And yet here Isaiah says, Break forth into singing and cry aloud, you who have not been in labor, for the children of the desolate one will be more than the children of, he, of her who is married, says the Lord. And then he goes on to say, Enlarge the place of your tent, and let the curtains of your habitations be stretched out. Do not hold back. Lengthen your cords and strengthen your stakes, for you will spread abroad to the right and to the left, and your offspring will possess the nations and will, and will people the desolate cities." So here you see echoes even of the Great Commission, how they were to prepare for a great harvest. And it wasn't just for the people of Israel anymore. Right? This is going to be for all the nations. So this is including all of us. So that's very, very exciting. So that is, you know, that's the context now leading into Isaiah 55. And that's where we're going to focus our time today. And that is, it's the great invitation. So the invitation, come everyone who thirsts. So if you have your Bible here, and if you don't, if you want to go on your um, Bible apps, I know many of you use that. I'll just read it together there. I won't put this one on the screen. It's long. Isaiah 55, 13 verses. I usually carry my small Bible up here. My wife told me I need to start carrying a bigger one. I did it. Huh? I know, impressive. I listened to my wife. Yeah. <sighs> Easier to read from, too. All right. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread, and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good, and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear that your soul may live. And I will make, an, uh, I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. Behold, I made him a witness to the peoples, a leader and commander for the peoples. Behold, you shall call a nation that you did not know, and a nation that did not know you shall run to you, because of the Lord your God and the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him, and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain and snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. For you shall go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills before you shall break forth into singing, and all the fields shall clap their hands. Instead of the thorn shall come up the cypress, 
instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle, and it shall make a name for the Lord, an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. What a wonderful invitation that this is. So we get that whole promise, right? A promised Savior moving right forward into how he's going to suffer for us and what he's going to do into the promise of salvation, essentially, right? And the promised blessing to all the nations, how it's going to go to Jew and Gentile. And now we get the invitation. And who is this invitation for? So we're, we actually don't have time. At first I thought I was going to go through the whole 13 verses because I thought that's easy. It's not easy. Uh, we're going to get through three verses, I think. And, uh, and then we can always come back to it later. We got, we got all of time until Jesus comes back to preach through the Bible. Amen? We never have to be in a rush. There's lots in here. It's gold. All right. But um, right now, though, okay, so go, we're going to focus on, this, on the first three verses. Uh, but right, you know, think about the world situation right now that we're in. I mean, we're, we're celebrating now because restrictions are removed. Absolutely, yes. But you think of what's happening in the Ukraine and Russia. You think about what's happening in other areas of the world. They're not the only place in turmoil right now. Our own country has been through a lot of turmoil in the last two years, uh, even recently, and we're still in turmoil. And, you know, it, it seems like you, no one's going to put a date on it, an expiry date, but you read Matthew 24, and, and these lists of things, of, of things that are going to come that, you know, we're told we won't know the time or, or day, absolutely, yes, but we're also told that there will be signs, clear signs like leaves turning orange in the fall, that tell us fall is upon us. We're told that there's going to be clear signs in here, and we're given a bunch of them, of when the coming of the end of the age is. And, you know, you look around, and, and it feels like, you know, we could be closer to the end of the age than any other time in history. And that's a really important thing. And, you know, it looks like there is more need and more want and less hope uh, than any other time. And I know maybe there's been worse times than that, and I know things can increase and get worse as well, but... But the invitation, and, and this is what this invitation is addressing to, is a lost and broken world, and he's inviting us to come uh, into his presence. So we'll take a look at the first three verses here. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and he who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread, and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me, and eat what is good. Delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come. To me that here that your soul may live and I will make with you an everlasting covenant my steadfast sure love for David. So the invitation is to come, 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 come. So the reason why I have it written on there five times because it's, it's written in the Bible five times in a row. In three verses he says come, 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 come. Sounds a little desperate? This is an invitation. He is desperate. I mean if we go into the New Testament we find you know, he's, he says, go into the alleyways, go into the streets, find anyone you can, good and bad. Fill the feast. This is the Lord that we serve. He loves his people and desires to spend an eternity with each one of us. And he beckons us to come. And this invitation is to everyone who what? Thirsts. That's the thing. So the invitation is to everyone who thirsts, Jew and Gentile, everyone who thirsts to come. So we're going to look at two kinds of uh, people who thirst, two kinds of thirst. Uh, and the first one is going to be thirst that we know, and the second one is maybe thirst that you don't know. You kind of know it, but you don't fully know it yet. And so the first kind of person we're going to look at is the, the poor in spirit. So these are the ones who know it. And, and you may be this person here this morning. 
you know, where you feel like a desperation, you're not sure how to get it, but there's something in you, and you know, you know you need Jesus. You maybe came here and you felt dry and empty. Maybe you feel like, you know, now as the snow is starting to disappear, you can just start seeing a little bit of our yard in certain areas, and it's brown and dry and dead looking underneath. There's no life to it. Maybe that's how you came here this morning, feeling poor in spirit that way. You're dry, you're empty. Maybe you're stuck in a sin or you're stuck in whatever it might be, fill in the blank, and you're not sure what to do, but you know you don't have the answer in and of yourself. You know it. You recognize your need. That's the poor in spirit. You recognize your thirst, and you're here this morning with that heart. And today I would like to encourage you with these words. Jesus says to you today, come to the waters, come by without money. You don't need anything other than to come. You don't need to have gifts. You don't need to have, you know, a certain level of goodness or spirituality to you uh, to come. There's no qualification other than to come. And that's the invitation for you this morning. But there is a second kind of person that, this, that the uh, first three verses actually addresses, and that is the category I kind of found myself in a few years ago. And that would be the self-sufficient servant. Where, you know, the self-sufficient servant, it's a little bit different. And by the way, I would say in this category could also fit maybe, maybe someone who doesn't even believe in Jesus yet, right? They haven't accepted any type of invitation, um, but, uh, but they don't recognize their need for him. You know, the, the self-sufficient servant might get as far as to see, you know, my life is pretty good. Like, I have all of these things in my life kind of figured out, and everything's going good in this area. You know, I don't need any help here. But maybe, maybe I recognize there's one or two areas in my life that maybe I'm struggling that I need some help with. Uh, so the self-sufficient servant might go as far as to realize they need God in one or two areas. But for the most part, they feel like they have their life under control. You know, they can goal set. They can achieve goals. They can work hard. They can make money. And it's not, by the way, that any of these things are wrong. They're, they're good character traits to have, right? Uh, working hard. Uh, but they don't recognize their need for Jesus. And this is a dangerous place to be in. Uh, Revelations 3.17 says this, For you say, I'm rich, I've prospered, I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. Then he counsels them to, to buy gold or find in fire, right? To, to come to him. And, and we see that, you know, Revelations is echoing again the same heart of God. He's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. But we see that in the Isaiah invitation. Right? And he says, come, why do you spend your money for that which does not satisfy, or your labor for that which does not satisfy, right? Why do you spend it there? And he's offering us to come to him. So if this is you here today, this is a hard place to be in, because how do you change your heart, right? You ever feel like that? I feel stuck because I recognize my heart needs to shift, but how do you change things on the heart? You know, it's one thing to change your shirt. That's pretty easy. It's on the outside, but changing things on the inside, it's a lot more difficult. But Yet the invitation remains the same. Jesus says to you today, why do you spend your money in times and things that don't satisfy? Come to the waters. <sighs> Before we go any further, we should pray, right? Doesn't that sound good? I'm going to pray for you. Lord, we recognize that all of us are going to fit in here. Maybe not cleanly into one or two. Maybe it's somewhere in between. But Lord, we're recognizing that all of us are coming to you with a thirst. And we ask that by your spirit that you would reveal that to us. That you would reveal to us our true state like you admonish the church in Revelation 3. To come by gold or fine and fire from you. That's what we're asking today. That by your spirit 
that you would give us gold refined in fire, that you would open up our eyes to our need for you. And then, Lord, I pray that you would encourage each one of us to simply come, just the way we are, to come. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so what is he offering us at the banquet table? It's really neat, actually. He offers three things uh, in, in just the first three verses, and I really wish we had time to really get to the end because the whole chapter is just... You ever get so excited you almost don't even know what to, what to do? Maybe you don't get like that. I get like that all the time. But anyways, I got so excited going through here because I was just going to intro in Isaiah 55, and just the more, the more you just mine into it, the more gold that's there. But anyways, right here, we'll take a look at some of the significant things we see in the first uh, three verses. And we see he lays a table and he offers us water, milk, and wine. And there's significance in all three of those. Deep significance, actually. Um, but the water, the water is very important, right? Come to the water. And the water is the most important thing, but the water is life. That's, that's the significance of water. It is life. You need water to live. And we see that in Scripture. Scripture talks about water to live. It also talks about water being uh, representative of eternal life. And we see that in John. We'll take a look at that here together. Everyone who drinks of this water, this is when he's talking to the woman at the well, uh, will thirst again. So he's talking about physical water. And then he gives an invitation here and he says, whoever drinks of the water that I give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of welling up to eternal life. And so we see there is significance in this water that he's offering us. Come to the waters. He wants to give you life. And I think there's lots of people, when I look at you know, the, the, you look at even the stats right now of anxiety and depression and how they're rising. We live in a world that's getting less and less that people are feeling any type of peace on the inside. Where we're just trying to run or just trying to mask or just trying to feel something on the inside. And, and yet today Jesus is offering us, and he has been offering this for thousands of years, but he, he says to each one of us, come to the waters. That's Psalm 23. Lauren talked about it last week. Uh, Jira led us through it this morning, right? He leads us beside still waters. All right. But the milk. So now you have, so you have the, the water, which is significant for life and eternal life. Uh, but we also have milk. And so milk is important, obviously. You know, with the baby, you, you, you give them milk to what? To help them become strong and, and nourish them and to help them grow. And that is significant on here. So we see that. Uh, we need uh, physical nourishment, obviously, and he provides that. But then there's spiritual nourishment, and that's how you see Peter referencing uh, the idea of milk. And he says, Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. And so he invites us to get milk in his presence, spiritual milk that will help us on the road to sanctification for those who have already tasted that the Lord is good. So you see, we, we need water for life, we need milk for nourishment, and both are offered here. And then lastly, we have the wine. Now, I have to caveat here because of, <laughs> we live in a Mennonite community. Um, but a caveat here, not to step on anyone's toes, uh, but obviously, we're not talking about drunkenness or abuse or anything like that, right? But yet, when we look at, biblically at the gift of wine, wine often represents joy. And many times when the Lord talks about removing the joy from his people, removing abundance, he talks about removing their grapes for wine, removing their stores of wine. It's very interesting, but wine and the gift of joy, wine and the fullness of joy are very deeply connected uh, in Scripture. And what's interesting about that as well is it really challenges this idea sometimes that we have, like, we know God is sovereign over all things. Like, we, we get that. 
and we know, you know, he's the master, we're the servant. Uh, but it's easy to think about, you know, he wants us to suffer. And we know there's suffering. In this world, you will have trouble, right? We're supposed to endure through suffering. We're supposed to persevere. Absolutely, yes. But I think sometimes, you know, we do the penduluming. And we forget that he also invites us into fullness of joy. He actually, he created joy himself. He created us to yearn for it and to want it. And he actually loves it when his people overflow with joy. And I think it's significant that at this banquet table, it's more than just, you know, you're a servant, I'm your master, come and be good, obedient servants, sanctify yourself, grow, and, and that's it, because that would be already more than enough. Would, in, amen? We would already be getting more than we deserve, and yet also he offers us wine, this gift of joy, the fullness of joy uh, that he invites us into. Psalms uh, 104, 14 to 15, but it says, you cause the grass to grow for the livestock, and plants for man to cultivate, that he may bring forth food from the earth and wine to gladden the heart of man, oil to make his face shine and bread to strengthen man's heart. You know, it's interesting, like, that, that whole idea of wine given uh, as a gift to mankind, uh, we see it as a central part of their feasts. It's the, it's, you know, it was wine that the Lord used to commemorate the communion, right? One of the sacraments that we observe here regularly at prayer summits. Uh, and, and we won't spend a lot of time on this one, but... It was also the very first miracle that Jesus performed. It's always a, I don't know if it's embarrassing for some of us when we read it, but his very first miracle uh, was at a wedding feast and they had exhausted their own supplies of wine. And by the way, I'm not encouraging an overabundance and you certainly don't have to drink wine to feel joy. Uh, that's not the point. There is a lot of symbolism in here. And yet we see Jesus at this, at this wedding feast going and taking jars of water and turning it into wine. And so we see that. So he is actually a God of joy and a God of fun. I was just reading this morning Psalm 1611, and it talks about in his presence are pleasures forevermore. The fullness of joy found in his presence. And that's what he's beckoning us into. It's something even better than the gift of wine, right? But he's beckoning us to come into his presence where there is fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore at his right hand. So the offer is water, life, now and eternal, nourishment, everything you need to grow, everything you need to grow and overcome and to stand victorious, everything you need. He wants to give it to you. And he wants you to have fullness of joy. He wants to surpass all of those things, you know, the things that I was looking to for contentment or for satisfaction that always left me feeling dry and empty. Have you ever had that? You ever had a goal in life? You just know, if I just achieve this, then I'm going to be satisfied, and you get there, and it feels good for a moment. I mean, it does feel good for a moment, but it's fleeting. It's fleeting, and then it's gone, and the contentment's gone. You have a hole inside, and he's offering us fullness of joy, something that, is, something that can actually satisfy us to the core of our being, and it's not based on a circumstance. It's not based on a situation. It's not based on an accomplishment. It's based on his goodness and sovereignty and love towards us. So the invitation is for everyone. So the question is, do you feel thirsty? Do you thirst for him? Do you want what he's offering? All right. Lord, I just ask right now, even here again at this point, I, oh, Lord, we think about this world, there are so many distractions there are so many things that, 
that vie for our attention and vie for our hearts. And, and there's so many promises. You turn on the TV or you go outside and there, there are so many things that promise to fill that void inside. But Lord, they always leave us dry and empty. Never feeling like we can quite measure up. Never feeling like we can quite reach that, that spot. There's always something in us that needs more. And yet today, Lord, we're coming to you the, as best we can. And we declare to you today that we are thirsty. We are thirsty. We are coming to the waters because we thirst. And Lord, we don't want to be satisfied on the things of this world. We want to find our satisfaction and contentment in you. All right. So how do we come to the waters? And that's where I want to spend the rest of today's message. Yep. So come, buy without cost, eat. There's a few commands that are right found in the first. Now, this is more than the first three verses. So I did kind of, I, I said I was only going to touch three. Technically, some of these go right up to ten. But come, buy without cost, eat, listen, delight, seek, call, or pray, forsake, repent. We could spend, you know, messages on each one of these pieces, right? So we won't have time to do that. But there's all sorts of ways in here and commands that he's asking us to do and how we, how we come to him. But I want to break it down into three basic components this morning. And so it's a non-exhaustive list. But the first one is the most important. The basic requirement is what? Can you say it with me? Come. This is the basic requirement. You know what I love about this? It's not a physical place. Doesn't have to be a time. Doesn't have to be circumstantial. It's an invitation that you can say yes, you can come and meet with him anytime. Because Revelation says, I stand at the door and knock. Anyone who opens the door to me, I will come in with him and I will eat with him. They'll dine together. Sound like familiar language, doesn't it? The invitation to all of us is to come. And it's about us opening that door in our heart and just receiving him in there. And it's more than salvation because it's bigger than that. But that's the beauty of come. It's a basic requirement. But let me ask you a question. So if I invited you, or if you invited me to the keg, uh, and, you know, at the keg, I would have the best meal, which is a New York peppercorn. My wife would know that. New York peppercorn, medium rare. It's just wonderful. The little sauce they have with the peppercorns in there, and it's full peppercorns. <laughs> Lots of extra salt, obviously, because no one ever salts anything enough. Um, extra grilled vegetables. They change a little bit here and there. Obviously, for a side, you have the calamari and mushrooms Neptune, right? I've never been. I've just heard, oh, <laughs> so good. Anyways, let's say you invited me there. I love going there, right? I love going to the cake. So you invite me to go there, and I agree to come. I'm, I'm going to totally come, but I don't show up. So maybe the reason you invited me is because I've been feeling lonely or isolated or I've been struggling lately and you just want to bless me. Or maybe it's vice versa, but just follow the pattern just for a moment. But you see I've been struggling or I've been lonely or I've you know, been going through a hard time, so you want to bless me. You want to invite me out and talk and we'll share fellowship together and have a good meal together. And so I agree to come, but I just simply don't show up. Simple question. Will I receive the benefit of fellowship or the satisfaction of the food that you offered? No. This is the most simple idea. I know, I get it. This is like Christianity 101, the basics of our faith. And yet it's like the first thing it seems like we as believers forget to do. We long, sometimes whether you recognize the thirst is there or not. The longing's there, you need the help. 
You need God to meet with you. You might even want him to. And you might even say, yes, I'm going to join you at the keg, Lord. I'm going there. That meal sounds amazing. I want that fellowship. I need it. I need the nourishment. I'm, I have been fasting for years, it feels like. But yet, if you find yourself sitting on your couch doing nothing, or busy doing work, or filling your, your schedule with tasks, even if they're good things, I'm not even talking about bad things here. But if you just find your schedule is too full to actually make it to the table, to the banquet, maybe that's the reason why you haven't experienced some of those benefits in a while. You know, this uh, basic requirement of come, this last two years has been difficult. I have put such a priority on this come. Like, no, there's not a right time to do it and a, right, and a wrong time, okay? And there's different ways. Like, this is part of coming, right? This is part of the invitation. That's why church is important. Like, there's something in the gathered body that we receive, but I'm gonna focus specifically on the, the more of the private one-on-one, right? There's that private commune with God. There's that private connection where it's not just, you know, we're eating with a whole group of friends, but it's that one-on-one, we're going out on a date together. There is something to that that fills something in you that gives you the nourishment you need to grow, the strength to keep on going, the life that you need inside of you so that you can even attempt to shine a beacon, be a beacon of hope in the world around you. But you need that time with him. You need to come. This last two years, it's been my biggest priority. I've probably had a, the most consistent devotional life in my whole life. I don't know why that is, but I used to always be very sporadic, five days, four days, and six days, seven days. In the last two, two years, it's been my biggest priority. There's been an odd time where I've missed here and there, but I won't miss my time with the Lord for anything. I wither without him. I have found he satisfies a longing in me that I, I couldn't even identify before. He has this way of, of highlighting my brokenness in a way that makes me come alive in his presence. And I can't even figure it out. The things that should cause me to feel shame, that should push me away from people and push me away from him, somehow turn into this beautiful invitation where I feel so loved. And then people say, how did you go through this? Or how do you deal with this? And I'm like, I want to give you a 10-step, but I only have a one. You've got to get alone with Jesus. That's how I do it. It's a one step. I don't, I don't, I'm not smart enough to go beyond that. All right. Get myself all ready. Maybe I'll take a sip here. Ah, oh, coffee. Another good gift from the Lord. Didn't have that on the list though, eh? <laughs> I don't know how it didn't make the list. There should be a fourth. That could be a fourth point we had on here. And coffee for energy. That's one I didn't have on there. Okay, anyways. All right, so come. This is the first thing. This is the most important thing. Don't forget it. Church, don't forget it. Don't complicate it. Come. It can be a decision. It can be a a moment of crying out or a pause or take five minutes or take ten minutes. Take something. But you have to come. If you don't come, you won't experience the benefits. So now, we're instructed to delight ourselves in the Lord. Interesting words, isn't it? To find enjoyment in the Lord. Delight yourselves in the Lord. Eat Rich food, incline your ear, come and hear that your soul may live. There's lots and lots of good stuff in here. And so we're going to look at two things in the time we have left. And there could have been 
eight things, but we just seriously don't have time for everything. And like I said, lots of time to preach every other week. So um, two things we're going to look at. And the first one is, and these are just ways that we can come and engage our hearts with the Lord. And the first one is praise and worship. And I'm not talking about just prayer. And prayer is very important because I could have done a whole section on that. And I will come back to that on another time. However, right now we're talking about singing praise and worship. It's a wonderful thing. And I know there's lots of things that keep us from doing it, like we don't think we're musically talented or we're not good enough for this and all that kind of stuff. You know what? It doesn't actually matter. You can be completely off tune. It doesn't actually matter. You can be the worst singer in here. It doesn't matter. Because it's not about you. And it's not about me. It's about him. And he made us this way. There is something about music, and I wish I had more time just to focus on the one point. But like I said, so much gold to go through. But... There is something about music that brings our hearts to life. The secular world knows it. It's, it's, it's phenomenal. And that's why, again, shameless plug for what are we doing this next Wednesday? <laughs> worship night. That's why that point is in here. Worship night. No, we're coming together to worship. But the worship is all about lifting up and magnifying the name of the Lord. That's what it's all about. That, that is what it's about. But somehow, the worshiper inevitably gets to the same spot. Like, maybe not every time, but most of the times. The more you focus your heart on the Lord and magnify his name and lift it up above your own, something miraculous happens. You, the worshiper, change. How does that work? I just said, worship is not about us. I know. I know. If we make it about us, we don't necessarily experience that. But you make it about him, and somehow, the more we lift his name up, the more we are the ones that get changed from the inside out. And it's a beautiful thing. Uh, I actually just, I had, the most, I had one of the most special times with a group of friends uh, at my birthday this last February. Anyways, um, we just sang as a group of friends. We sat, I don't know, 30, 40 minutes and just sang together. It was amazing. Like, we have lots of good talks. Like, me and the, like, our close-knit group, and, and there's, there's lots of good stuff that happens all the time. But we just sat and sang and worship the Lord. It was the most beautiful thing for 30 to 40 minutes. Lifting up the name of the Lord. Filled something inside that no other sharing, no other talking, no other anything seems to fill. All right. Anxiety. You know, they often talk about anxiety. We're supposed to focus ourselves on the present. Why? Anxiety is a futuristic emotion. So with anxiety, you may not know it or not, but you're focusing on some kind of futuristic issue. There's something in the future that makes you disconnect from the present. So... Things that you do, if you have anxiety, you can do things like, I can look at the black cup, and I can touch the cup, and kind of think about how the cup feels. Why? It grounds me in the present. Make sense? Right? Then I can touch my Bible, and feel the Bible, and feel the softness of the fake leather on this one, and smell it, and, uh, right? But all of that, it helps ground me in the present. So, with anxiety, even taking the Lord out of it, if I, if I, discipline myself to ground myself in the present, I actually find that I can have great relief from anxiety. Neat, right? Isn't that neat? Awesome. Yeah. Something better happens in worship. As you worship, the worshiper, all the things, because you have like all these mountains that I'm facing, right? I'm going through a world, oh, I got my anxiety here, and oh, I'm failing at this thing. And you ever feel like if I focus on this area and start doing well, that means this area is doing poorly? Does that ever feel like that? It's like whack-a-mole. Your whole life is like whack-a-mole. That's how I feel often. It's like as soon as you get one, it pops up somewhere else, right? The beautiful thing about worship is this. You don't ground yourself in the present. You ground yourself in Jesus. 
It is way better than grounding yourself in the present. It is light years beyond anything that you can find anywhere else. You ground yourself in Jesus. And when you actually find yourself there, that's when you understand that, that, that song, right? And the things of earth grow strangely dim. Because you inevitably lose yourself. They don't matter anymore. You ground yourself in something that is so much greater and better and awe-inspiring than anything you're going through. Nothing else seems to matter. And yeah, I know. Then you go back to life and it fades. But you can come back there any time. You can come to the table any time you want. Beautiful, isn't it? All right. So our biggest problem with worship, not, not, not enough time worshiping. That's the first one. Not enough time. We don't spend enough time there. There's, we're too distracted to whatever. Uh, me and Lou just the other day, well, I guess it was a few weeks ago now, but we were trying to decide, what are we going to do this evening? And we just said, we're going to listen to some old Southland worship. It was just going to be one or two songs. An hour and a bit later, and I'm texting Zach and telling him I miss him. <laughs> right? Because I was listening to his music. And I'm like, oh, Zach. And then, you know, it was a fun, nostalgic time. But it was beautiful. It was beautiful just worshiping together. And you feel like, oh, that's not going to like satisfy this need inside of me because we need to be busy and we need to accomplish something to actually feel good about life, right? And somehow an hour and a bit disappears and you're like, that was an amazing evening. It was way better than anything else we could have done. Not talking about legalism either. Don't worry about that. But anyhow, not enough time. We make it about us. That's another big problem. Francis Chan, I always loved it. Uh, he talks about how someone came up to him when he was still leading a church and had said, you know, um, I, I didn't really like the worship today. And he said, oh, that's totally, I'm glad you share, but we weren't worshiping you anyways. <laughs> right? I just, I love it. That's so funny, but the thing is, it's true. It's like, it's not about that. You know, you find yourself saying, oh, I don't know if, is it, if I like this song. It's not about the song. It's about God. It's about the person of Jesus Christ. It's about finding our life in him. So, the next thing is, uh, we think it's, we need talent. Don't, you don't need talent. You just need to come. Come and sing, however it is, just belt it out. On Wednesday, I hope to hear the ones that are in tune and the ones that are out of tune, and let's just mix those voices together and just shout praises to the Lord. It's going to be awesome. All right, now we've got to talk about the last one. I'm really going to run out of time. Yep, see, I told you. It's hard to go through 13 verses. Um, meditate on the Word. Know, read, obey, and share the Word. There is no shortcuts to this, but I really want to talk about the Word because my question to you this morning is, are you leaning into God's Word? I can't answer that for you because there's no time limit. There's no like, do it like this. This is how it has to look. There isn't that. But you have to decide. Are you leaning into God's word? Are you? There's a growing trend in our culture, even within the church, and that is to lessen the importance of the word. Scripture is, yeah, I mean, it's important. It's good. You know, it, it, it's instructive. But it's not that important. It's just a book. It's not relevant. Doesn't hit the current issues. Well, one of my favorites, I don't have to spend time in the Word. It doesn't save me. Even Jesus said, you search the Scriptures to find eternal life, but you fail to realize that they point to me. And yet you don't come to me. Ooh. He wasn't saying that searching the Scriptures is bad. He was just saying that didn't save you. You still have to find the person of Jesus Christ, the fullness of God. <laughs> yeah. We worry about legalism. And yet John claims that Jesus is the word personified. Think about this. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Wow. In the beginning 
was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. <laughs> if I say that really fast, I always get the order wrong. I don't know what it is. Anyways, I love that. So is John saying that this physical Bible is, the, is Jesus? Well, no, and yes. Weird, right? <laughs> That's kind of a weird thought, because how is a book? It's not about the book, but this isn't just a book. It's the revelation of God. It's not just a history book. It's a prophetic voice to mankind of, of the revealed nature of God. It is God revealed in a word. It's amazing. Now, even before the New Testament and John wrote this, the Jews already kind of understood this, but they understood it a little bit differently. So they had already personified. If you go to Proverbs, you'll realize that wisdom is often personified, right? Like wisdom is a, is a person. Okay. So they understood the context of the Torah, the law, the Bible, you know, wisdom. They understood the context of, of, of the personified word. It wasn't a new thing. John wasn't saying something completely foreign to them. But they didn't have it quite right because they thought that this personified word was created by God. Following? John's like, guys, guys, <laughs> newsflash. Like, you're not going to believe this. So you already know the word Right? The Torah, yeah. Wisdom, personified, yeah. People would have been nodding. Yeah, no, no, no. Wasn't created. He was there in the person, the word itself. It is God. He is God. He was there at creation. He is the uncreated one. Like, think, it, would, it was mind-blowing to them. Right? I mean, they had all this stuff written in Exodus, Exodus 33 to 34. I'll give you a couple of parallels here. Um, versus John, you know, 1 to 18. Because we don't have time to go through the whole thing. Exodus says, the revelation of God's word, the Torah, right? So th this is the revelation of God's word, the Torah, in the beginning of the Bible. John says, the revelation of God's word is Jesus, right? So he's saying, oh, okay, it's the Torah. No, he's saying it's Jesus. It's the person, the Son of God. Let me go on to God dwelt among his, peop uh, his people in the tabernacle. And John says, the word tabernacled came in the flesh and dwelt among his people. Right? It went to the next level. He said, yeah, yeah, okay. So you had, you had the tabernacle totally. Yeah. He's saying, no, no, no. The word tabernacle. He is dwelling among us now. The word is Jesus. Pretty amazing. Moses beheld God's glory in Exodus. The disciples beheld uh, Jesus' glory. The glory was full of grace and truth versus the glory was full of grace and truth. The law was given through Moses versus the law was given through Moses. You see a lot of the parallels are identical. But there's something greater that John is getting at. He's talking about a fulfillment. There's something greater. No one could see all of God's glory in Exodus versus no one can see all of God's glory, but God's glory is fully revealed in the person of Jesus Christ. Mind-blowing. Mind-blowing. And he is the word. And he's inviting you to come to the table. And he says, I have water for life. I have milk for nourishment to give you everything you need to grow in for sanctification. And I have wine. I want to fill you with fullness of joy. This is absolutely incredible. The Word is more than a history book. It is more than a history book. It's a prophetic book that points us to Jesus. It's God's revelation to us, the fullness of Christ. And see, I don't understand it. You don't have to understand it. The Holy Spirit will help you on that. I didn't understand it the first time I, I read it either. Some things I did. And you just go there and you don't have to read the whole thing in a day. You have a lifetime to pursue Him. However many breaths you have left, you have that time to pursue him if you choose to do so. He answers our origin story. It's in here, our origin story. That's an important thing. Psychology will agree with that. Understanding your history, how you came to be, 
is actually a very important part of mental health. The Bible actually does that. Do you know that? Gives us purpose in life. Reveals God to us. <laughs> Protects us from deceptions. Show us, shows us where the boundary lines are. Teaches, exhorts, corrects, trains that we may be complete. Gives us direction and wisdom. Gives us hope in life. This verse, Psalm 119.50, this is my comfort and my affliction that your promises give me life, that your word gives me life. It's been a verse that has been very dear to me the last two years. That was my comfort and my affliction. The word. It's God's revel revelation of God to us. It's a prophetic book that points us forward to our eternal future with Jesus. Past fulfilled prophecy paving the way for our hope and future in the future fulfillment of the promises of God in the second return. So the question is, are your hearts burning for more of him? Are you thirsty? Let's pray. Lord, we don't know how to change our hearts. We don't know how to light a fire inside. There might be all sorts of things that are sitting on that throne inside that are keeping us from really engaging with you. But we recognize today that we are empty. We're lost without you. We can't do this on our own. And today, Lord, as you stand at the door and knock, we are asking, we are inviting you. You invited us. But now, Lord, we're inviting you. Would you come in and eat with us and let us dine with you?